Oh, comfortable. How do I sound? You sound fine. Your last one was fine, too. I have the mic facing the right way this time. Yeah, hold on one second. This is not going to work. That chair is way too leaned back. Lean back. Yes. Lean back. Oh, yeah, that sounds so good. What's that? Oh, yeah, that scraping noise. It sounds so good. <laughs> yeah. I bet that'll be fun to listen to. You should hear it when you, uh, when it has like a full human being like wrapped around the chair. I mean, Ugh. like, it's, uh, Ugh. Oh, you don't know, uh, Buffalo Bill. You don't know what pain is. Okay, just a minute I have to cut out there at the beginning so I don't have to hear any of that. Uh, sure you don't want to hear that? I'm pretty sure I don't want to hear that. Um, yeah, that. Oh, it's not going to be my best of the week, but I'm like 25 minutes away from being done with Yes, madam. Absolutely. Yeah, I logged into Plex to look at that because I was like, can I open my VPN? Let's check Plex. Nope, okay. Wait, what? I was like, I want to open up my VPN to do some um, some searching to look for mm-hmm. something. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll check. I don't want to like throw off whoever's on my Plex. You're, you're fine, dude. You can do it. It's not a big deal. No, I, I, I would rather like know if someone's on it. So I was just like looking and was like, oh, yes, madam. OK, that's a weird that's a weird pick for Ben. But OK, no, no, that movie works. That's good. Get to these two movies because they have been driving me crazy for the last couple of days driving you crazy huh yeah a little bit all right well that could could go either way it's the middle of summer why is he wearing that gigantic green sweater (laughs) it's gotta be as uncomfy as possible yeah well prepare to be like you're in that green sweater because i got some questions for you about these two and we're not taking no shortcuts we're, we're taking the long way from colorado to california he does take a long way from colorado to california doesn't he i think he does he's like let's go south uh, yeah I... why would you go south let's let's start this show i let you roll a natural 20 and this is what you do to me When the final reel is spun And the credits have been run You can count on the wisdom Of these two white guys talking film Just two white guys talking film. Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from the front seat of a Dodge Challenger to the front seat of a GTO. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. Hello, sir. Hey, how's, 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 how's the week treating you? Like, listeners, you will be hearing this after it's out, but if you haven't listened to the Larry Cohen interview we did with Steve Mitchell, please go back and listen to the Larry Cohen interview with Steve Mitchell. 
it's it's it was fun it was good sorry yeah yeah so when you're hearing this is like a little bit after we recorded yeah no it's a lot of fun and he's he's very insightful if you've ever wanted to really learn about a filmmaker like any filmmaker he knows a lot about larry cohen and boy we learned a lot about larry cohen we are not not here to talk about Larry Cohen. I'll say that much because we are here to take them over to the rack and say, this is what we would suggest for uh, you to rent if you don't want to take these two very odd movies about the road. And oh, my God. <sighs> OK, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. You're going to get a choice, Tyler. I've never done this before, but we're going to we're going to do something that could break tradition on the podcast night hate breaking tradition because i think it's one of the few things that separates us from the animals but i'm gonna let you choose what do you call it okay uh, what was the best thing you saw this week tyler the best thing i saw this week best thing i saw this week not a well i guess it here's the thing so i saw there's a youtube series that then i think if we end up actually doing a best of the year for 2020 you're definitely gonna have to watch on the seattle mariners now, Seattle Mariners, no one's favorite team, is a bunch of losers. They've never won a World Series. They've been around for, I think, 50, 40 to 50 years, since like the late 70s. And this group uh, at SB Nation, uh, comprised of John Boys and Alex Rubenstein, decided to write and direct a, a six-part docuseries for YouTube all about the history of the Seattle Mariners, and it is one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen. Um, I love John Boyes. I think he is legitimately one of the best documentary filmmakers alive. He makes sports interesting for people who don't even like sports. And for people who like sports, he makes it this, like, just mono, this, like, mythic thing that we can kind of challenge, like, uh, challenge, not challenge, channel, like, all of our belief systems into. He really paint sports in this really like mythical fashion especially baseball and i would say that this this six-part docuseries which rings about three to four hours long but they're split up into the 50-minute episodes uh it just ended uh the sixth one went up uh thursday and i would honestly say it's as good as ken burns's baseball it is such just such a good good look at just one team throughout i think like 40 years and all of the anecdotes, and I don't want people to feel like this is some weird Tyler bullshit, but uh, it is kind of. But I want people to know that it's also very funny. It has one of the funniest images I've ever seen, and it's also really digestible. It's like not just for baseball people. They really kind of explain things. It is legitimately one of the best films of the year so far for me at this point might be the best because i'm not sure what else is going to get released this year well you know well not really i really kind of almost relit the fuse and diffused it at the same time have you seen the gentleman i mean the gentleman's pretty good like that would be my pick for favorite movie of the year right now which is a <laughs> okay. really really sad sentence when i say it out loud but at the same sure. time i i really enjoyed the gentleman <laughs> I think it's I'll... like i think it's three and a half stars out of five for me I will. I will say that I gave uh, the history of the Seattle Mariners by John Boys and Alec Rubenstein a five star rating um, on Letterboxd. So that's the, well, okay. I have to watch a six part miniseries, fifty minutes long. So let's just, the, let's not the, the longest episodes are fifty minutes. There's some that are just like thirty minutes. They're really digestible. You could watch them over a week and be fine. Okay, 
Let's see, just, yeah, you, well, okay. That actually doesn't sound terrible. What you just said is if he makes it for people who don't like sports, that actually might be the best selling point you could have given. Mm -hmm. Like I said, one of the funniest single frames ever, uh, I've ever seen is in (laughs) one of the episodes. When I watch all of it, if this does turn out to be one of the things, God, please open the theaters. (laughs) Please, if this was all to punish me with this, I mean... Seems a little much, don't you think? I I think you, even you think, I think maybe you've taken even the if, work from me. I think even if they open the theaters, I feel like it's going to be hard to beat that. Oh, son of a bitch! <laughs> was this what it was all about? Were you just low blowing me with the coronavirus, and then you were just going to throw this at me, Lord? You've already taken the work. What more can I do? I feel like Job. I know he was right-handed, but you know I'm not going to get out of sorts or anything. I saw a pretty damn good movie this week, Tyler. And like I said, we're not not talking about Larry Cohen. But we are still kind of talking about Larry Cohen because I watched Bone this week. I was going to say, I was worried about having a Larry Cohen film be my best of the week. Because if if so, it would have been God told me to. (laughs) I get you. But I watched Bone, man. And I know you watched Bone as well. Bone's Bone's a weird fucking movie. Do you sit there and just look at that movie and you go like, I wonder if I could just slide a copy of that to Jordan Peele and just kind of like shrug my shoulders and just walk away. Like, I wonder, I wonder like what would happen if that went down. And he's like, like, do you want me to sign this? I'm like, no, I mean, do with it what you will, I guess. I don't know what, I don't, the thing is, like, I don't know what the, what to make of a lot of that movie. What do you, okay, okay, guys, I'm sorry, we're going to spoil Bone if you don't want to hear it. I'll figure out a way to tell you where it is in there. But I need to ask Tyler, is Bone real? You can make the case that Bone is the two white people's perception of what a black person could be. Okay. You could make that argument. I'm not sure I would make that argument, but I feel like I could. I could the I ending could. of that movie really gives you the idea he's, was he ever there? Yeah. I don't know. Because the only other person I can think of that Bone interacts with is, the is, a, woman on, is a woman on the bus... He doesn't even interact with the bus driver. He just puts the money in. That could just yeah. be like, that could just be them perceiving it. The only person he interacts with is that old woman. And he says, don't worry, ma'am. We'll wash his mouth out with, uh, with Life Boy. She doesn't even acknowledge him. She looks straight ahead. So you I could argue actually, Bone yeah. is... I think that movie's a lot smarter than people are giving it credit. No, no, no. I, I do think that, movie's, I think that movie's incredibly smart. I really like Bone. I think if Bone was successful, we're looking at a completely different career for Larry Cohen making weird art movies like bone and i don't know i think he still does what he does just like maybe with a slightly bigger budget like i, think I maybe... actually think with maybe slightly lesser budget because bone bone's a weird bone's weird man bone 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 feels very much like a like a european like a like an english film at that time like a kitchen sink type like thriller, like a if seance I, in a I, wet afternoon type movie. If I may paraphrase the movie Ace Ventura, that kind of movie can be made over the weekend. Like that that's how cheap that movie feels. It's it is a nights and weekends type movie. <laughs> I read a little piece of trivia about it. Do you want to know? Yeah, go for it. Because by the way, you talk about maybe something one of the funniest frames you've seen in a movie. Yafat Koto in that sweater. Like it's it's just like you're like, oh no. Oh no, Mr. Rogers is like uh, Mr. Rogers' bodyguard is here and like he also dresses like Mr. Rogers. I think I know what trivia you're talking about, but what I'm, do you I'm think there. it is? 
I, it's he borrowed it. Larry Cohen gave him that sweater from his personal wardrobe, and then Yafa Koto never gave it back. <laughs> I fucking love that piece of trivia. It's oh. very funny because the because the fucking it doesn't fit right. It like it's like a little too small. It's so great though because he's so hulking in it. Yeah, no, I think that's why it works. Bone's a weird movie. Yeah, no, I would say go see Bone. I think it has like two of the more interesting performances I've seen in a movie at that time with the Koto and the wife. I also think that the woman he meets at the grocery store, who, fuck, what's her name? That That is an insanely good performance, too. You know who that is, right? No, who is that? I know that she was in, she got her part in The Heartbreak Kid. Yeah, Janine Berlin. Oh, she's in that movie you like. Yeah, she, yeah, Heartbreak Kid, she's the daughter of Emily May. Oh, she's, director. In bunch, she's in a bunch of stuff you like. A bunch of stuff, yeah. Huh, interesting. Yeah, no, she's really, like, really strong in in Bone. They, I mean, even the guy, like, who I'm, like, not a huge fan of, he's really good in it as well. Yeah, it's just, like, it's a movie that just, like, almost pulls no punches. Yeah, a very... There's moments where I'm like, I don't know, this is crossing the line, but then, I like, that ending, I was kind of like, I don't know, I think it kind of saved it. Weird. I said earlier I was going to maybe break tradition. These both come out in 71. Now, depending on how you want to do this, how do you want to do this, I guess, is the question. So, I mean, I think Vanishing Point should probably be first, since it's the more known film. I mean, you could go by the fact that it was released earlier. It was released, um, apparently, in March. I actually think it was released in January, from what I was reading. If you want, we could go with Two-Lane Blacktop, since that movie might have left you with more to, to rant about than, uh, than Vanishing oh. Point. Oh, interesting. Interesting. You want to get the yelling out of the way first. I see what you're doing there. I see I, I, I see what you're doing there. Oh, no, it's, it's the angry Ben. To angry quote, Ben. To quote, to quote Tom Hanks, I know you. I'm trying to think of the last time we've seen Angry Ben. Like, when did he last show up to the store? Like, I think I think Exist. 20 minutes into Lahane, he started to show up, but then that movie got, like, really interesting to me, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's it's fine. I don't know. You would think I would know this. I actually spent all day yesterday and today posting every one of our episode like feed links to our Twitter. So like any of them can just be accessed in order. And then I'm just going to start doing it like routinely from now. I want to say existence, but I feel like there was another movie where you got mad. You know what? Let's go back and look at the vault. That is this thing. Cause I have them all on here. Yeah, there it is. Let's see. When is the last time I was truly upset by anything i don't know if he was angry but like i'll say sullen ben showed up for episode 43 when a woman under the influence played it wasn't angry ben it was like why come on you know this isn't what i do he's not angry in 39 because that's his own fault he picked english patient and miss dry miss daisy self-inflicted self-inflicted ben it's not really his fault. Uh, I just remember you announcing both those movies. I'm oh, here you audible. go. Here, here you go. Episode 25, the best uh, the best of the horror decade, part two. Your number one is just baffling to me, and I was so mad. Like, right, 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 yeah. right, 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 right. By the so way, talk about by the way if I were you, I would take a look at what the um, what our, what our, what the picture is for that, because I think it's going to make you laugh. Oh, boy. Tyler, how do you want to do this? It's up to you, man. Whatever you want to talk about first. Yeah, let's you know what? Let's go out on a positive note. So let's let's start with uh let's start with old TLB. Do you want the type of film that fails to catch on in its own time? A film hyped up as the movie of the year when its script was published in Esquire, 
a film banished to pans and scans on TV in the 80s and 90s, only to be refound and celebrated as a landmark work in the early 2000s. Well, our next film is just that. Released in 1971, to little to no fanfare, this film is Munhelman's cerebral road movie about loneliness, the desire to be around people, and the freedom and claustrophobia of a car. Directed by the aforementioned Hellman, starring James Taylor, Dennis Wilson, Marie Bird, and Warren Oates as nameless wanderers of the open road, the venerable Tulane Blacktop. How you doing? Freedom's just another word for Better. I think we got us a squirrel to run. Nothing ain't worth nothing, but it's free. Feeling good was easy loving, body sang the blues. Feeling good was good enough. Good enough for me and Bobby McGee. You got nothing in that engine but a bunch we'll of wheel out. Sure we'll race. You're damn right we'll race. For pink. Pink slips? You mean for cars? You want to race for the whole shot? That's right. All a rolling stock. Where to? You name it. Smart ass, Washington, D.C. Right, Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. Just a second, man. No, you're on. You're definitely on. I was going there anyway. Show me how to do it. You put the pinks in an envelope, send them to D.C., general delivery. First one there waits for his car. I'll give you this, Tyler. You said this movie would make me fall asleep. It got me one, it got me half a time. Like, I definitely nodded during a part, and I went back today, and I, I rewatched I rewatched that section, and then I sat down and I kind of restarted the whole thing. What you do you like some... about this movie? <laughs> I, I don't know, I kind of like its sleepiness. I kind of like that it's like not a whole lot of plot in a very and like not a long movie but like in like a 40 hour 40 minute movie i don't know i just think it does for me what easy writer didn't do for me does Hmm. that make sense i suppose in the parlance of the times our easy writer walked so that two-lane blacktop could run okay interesting yeah i don't know man this just has it has good intentions but it just it just doesn't do it for me I held back on texting you while I was watching this movie that this movie, I think, is, like, anti-Ben Pick. <laughs> you're not wrong. I think the first or 30 minutes... Or you're not minutes, not wrong, I guess. I think the first 30 minutes especially are, are like, anti-Ben bait. That actually might be the strongest part oh, of it, really? honestly. Okay. Yeah, I kind of like the establishing of what everyone is. I think that's good. I think it's a really bold move to... I mean, like, I assume James Taylor and Dennis Wilson were both pretty famous by that point. Mm. It's a pretty bold move to take two guys who have clearly never acted and then, like, put them in starring roles. Mm -hmm. Granted, Warren Oates really, like, saves them. 
I think Warren Oates, I think Lori Bird had also um, never acted. Uh, oh, oh, what, really? Really? <laughs> you th- do you think so? She's fucking terrible in the movie. I don't know. I think she's fine. I think she's doing what the movie needs. I think Warren Oates is the only one who is an actor, actually plays to the benefit of the movie, because he's the only one that is putting on a performance in every scene. Everyone else is significantly more natural and feels like a real person, whereas Warren Oates feels like he is reciting lines in his head. I think that's really fun. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. It is definitely something. I I mean, it's it's totally a you movie. Like, I totally get it. (laughs) It just doesn't work. So he's got everything. He's got Harry Dean Stanton. (laughs) He's got cars. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. It has only the only thing that could take Harry Dean Stanton slightly more for you. A gay Harry He's so great in his five seconds. I will say, the half-star stud did show up, and I'm like, well, okay. And then he became a three-quarter star stud when I'm like, oh, oh, yes. More Harry Dean Stan attempting to seduce this driver. You're not going to kick me out here, are you? I think my favorite running gang are the people getting into GTO's car. Yeah. Well, well, I think we maybe we should establish some of what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah. Run them through the plot, because there so, isn't much. There isn't much. Essentially, there's these two men, James Taylor and Dennis Wilson, who are the driver and the mechanic. You don't get any real names for anybody in this movie, um, as I mentioned in the read-through. They are like living on the road. They're, they have this premier gray 1955 Chevrolet two-door sedan. They drag race it, winning impromptu races, getting a couple bucks, and essentially moving on to the next town, showing up in the next town, finding someone to race, racing them, taking their money and going to the next town. Like it's a very meager existence. You get the feeling that these are people, these are dudes who maybe like missed the hippie movement or were a part of it. And now that it's kind of dead and gone, they have nowhere to go. You get this like sense of like, they don't either want to return home or they don't have a home to return to, or maybe they're running from something. You never get a sense of their backstory. You never really get a sense of like who they are, which I think is very interesting. One day they meet a girl who's known as the girl in the script. Her name is Larry Bird in real life. She hitchhikes with them. They seem to have a contemptuous relationship at first. Does she just show up in their car one day? Yeah. In the diner, you see them eating, and she just, like, leaves out of a van and, like, puts her stuff in their car. And essentially just, like, they drive off, and they're like, oh, there's this girl in the car. (laughs) And they're like, we'll take you wherever you want to go. Like, you can ride with us, I guess. But this is what we do. It's very odd. Like I, I think she says that she had a fight with the person who was she was with, and then was like, "Fuck it, I'm going to go with someone else." Not to spoil anything, but the you know they it it gets mirrored at the end. Yeah, like yeah, the same really, thing happens. So you know what? Let's talk about each of them. James Taylor has never acted in anything else outside of I think maybe a cameo in Funny People. Yeah, he. He's, he isn't an actor. I, I told you before you watched it, I think this movie was shot in sequence because you can see the people getting better at acting towards the end. I think he's good for what he's given, which is a guy who just looks like James Taylor. <laughs> it's like, don't make any expressions ever. He really does have a face that just personifies anger. Mm-hmm. 
Like, and I think that's what he is. Your interesting point of them being too late for the hippie movement is a very interesting idea. Because I do forget this is 1971. This feels even older for some reason. Mm -hmm. I think both movies, I think, are about kind of like the wash up of the Summer of Love. And like, I think there's a lot of movies in the 70s. I find very interesting that like time period where it was like, well, the Summer of Love's over and these people have nowhere to go. And, you know. Like, you just get these, this, this sense of, like, people, like, kind of can't go home. <laughs> and so, I don't know. I find the 70s very interesting because there's a period of time from, like, 70 to, like, 74 where you have all of these movies, that, like, road movies about people who are just, like, wandering just to wander. Like, they don't have anything else to do. And I think these are two of the more interesting of those movies, in my opinion. But there's a bunch out there. Um, mm. And they usually, when we talk about Vanishing Point, they usually have a very similar ending to Vanishing Point. So we've talked about James Taylor. He's the driver, and that's all He's he does. And, you know, he he plays him really interesting. I will give James Taylor this. There are moments in that movie where I'm like, I really like James Taylor's performance in this. Mm-hmm. I Like I said, I think Taylor and Wilson both, they get better. Wilson, I think Wilson is kind of crushing it from the start, actually. Like, the I, scene where they're filling up with those two other guys and, like, the one guy's wearing, like, the Fred Flintstone t-shirt, I think Wilson's fucking crushing it in that moment. I think also what you get with Dennis Wilson and what you get with Lori Bird are, like, two real very deep cases of people who are very sad and cannot hide the fact that they are sad even when they are on screen. And so I think you just get these moments of where you're like, man, Dennis Wilson looks fucking tired. Like, he looks like he is depressed and, like, doesn't really want to be there. And it's like, oh, right, he's Dennis Wilson. <laughs> he probably was extremely depressed. You sure you're not thinking of Brian Wilson? No, Dennis Dennis Wilson. I'm not going to relay what happened to Dennis Wilson, but yeah, Dennis Wilson was also extremely... Fair blessed. enough. Google what happened to... I mean, Dennis Wilson and Laurie Bird both died young. Oh, I looked her up already. I know why you like this movie. I figured it out. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, don't you God. worry. We'll, we'll get to him. We'll definitely yes. talk about him. We also have to talk about GTO. I will say this movie does pick up a little bit when you meet GTO because that's actually the plot of the movie. Mm -hmm. Like the first part is just kind of establishing what they do and who these people are. But once you meet GTO, the movie actually does kick up a little bit and the star rating goes up a little higher. We're already at the three quarter stud. By, by the way, that's one of the reasons it kicks up a little more as well. Mm -hmm. You get a whole three quarters just out of that scene. GTO is another guy who's just driving around because this is what you did in the 70s. I think you just drove around. You get more of a glimpse of to what might have happened with GCO. He gives you like 17 stories. He's kind of like a joker where you're just like, yeah, I don't know. One of these has got to be correct. Really unreliable. He's a guy who loves telling stories. He's a guy, I think, because like the what he does at the end, he picks up stories from other people and repurposes them. Warren Oates is such a phenomenal character actor. And he plays GTO with such a amazing depth. The guy who's slippery, essentially like a joker type character, not like in how nihilistic he is, but like, and like, I have no idea what he's going to do minute to minute. Like this guy is unpredictable and I don't know what his backstory is, but I can, again, just sense an immense amount of sadness with this motherfucker. I don't know. I think whenever he picks someone up, I think it's very interesting. Cause it's like, what, what's he going to say to this person? And then like, he is clearly like reciting a script 
or like reciting like a story that he has built up in his head of like this mythic idea of like I'm one of these open road guys and it's like it's clear that he's kind of a square oh he's boring I guarantee you he's a rich boy I think he was one of those people that wanted to get in on the hippie movement like he was like came of age he was like in his 20s like in the late 50s early 60s and then saw the hippie movement and was like way too late to it because he's now in his 30s and was like that should have been me that should have been my life and so like he finally just like fucking like fuck it and just like gets a car and starts driving around like that's what that character sort of feels to me you know what i mean like he missed his window yeah, I, I think I know exactly what you mean. He wanted to be an angry youth, but he had to keep it buttoned down inside. And now it's kind of exploded in his mid-40s. And now all these other people get to be angry youths. And so now it's like, fuck it, I'm buying this car. Or I'm winning it in Las Vegas, or I'm you we know, winning really it. We don't really know, yeah. You never really know. No, he's very unreliable. Yeah, when he shows up, it gets good. So he shows up, and he... he cl- and see, this is another part. He claims that, like, these kids have been harassing him and following him. We don't know if that's true. He has been harassing them. Oh, he has? Yeah, he drives by them twice and, like, hands, puts their, like, honks at them at one time, passes them, puts his hand out the window, and then does it again. And then the third time, there's someone in the car and he's like, those kids have been harassing me. He picks up that guy, too, that, like, weird Texas lawyer guy. My favorite thing upon rewatch was seeing that, that lawyer guy hightail it away from them. It is great. Going down the highway. He's like, nope, anywhere else. Oh, this is going in the opposite direction? Don't care. Don't care. Yep. They say to him, like, we'll race you. And he's like, and they're like, they're like, you name the destination and we'll do it. And and he's like, okay. He's like, what about Washington, D.C.? And you're like, I don't think you're anywhere near Washington, D.C. I think they're currently in New Mexico. That's pretty far away. That's pretty far away. So it becomes a race, and then the rest of the movie, it's not even like a race. Like, they seem to be traveling together. It becomes one of those things where it's like, the movie takes the idea of a race, and then it's just kind of like, like that's like just a mechanic to have GTO and, and these guys just go across the United States. Like, there's no real, it's just a propulsion mechanic. Like, by the, like hour 10 mark like the race you've basically forgotten about it because i think an offhand dennis wilson says something along the lines of like i don't even want that fucking car like i don't even want to win this race like we don't even have to go through with this yeah if gto shows up first like they don't have to show up in washington dc just go in the opposite direction yeah it's one of those things where it's just a way to make it a gumball rally to shoot across the united states i think it's very interesting because there's definitely a certain point where GTO is like, actually, we're kind of friends. Like we, like it's one of those things where it's like we don't like one another, but because we kind of have this similar of like we just want to be on the road. Like we don't want to, we don't want to be wherever we're from. We don't want to like be somewhere. We just kind of want to be out in the open. There's this com- camaraderie that begins to form between these men and women, women, and you just get this like weird sense of like com- camaraderie in that like it's like no like yeah no we we are friends but we don't want to not be around one another because being alone sucks but we still want to be alone but like we but we want to be friends but we don't want to be friends it's very very weird it's a very weird dynamic that they have none of them really like each other too this was the other thing i didn't like i was like ah i I don't know like 
There's just, I don't know, there's no one for me to hook into, I guess, in this movie is what I'm getting at. I think for me, luckily, I like really hook into GTO and I really hook into just like the loneliness of of these people. <laughs> I could really be like, yeah, no, I see. I can see. I can see how people be this lonely that all they want to do is just fucking get in a car and drive. Like, yeah, it makes sense. I really do love a movie that's just like just kind of meanders and it's like, well, we don't really have a plot. We're just kind of doing stuff. I find this movie to be deeply interesting because you can kind of pick things out. I I really love. There's one encounter I just wanted to bring up because I sent you the quote where Taylor and, and Wilson are trying to convince a guy to like to race. And Dennis Wilson says, make it three yards, motherfucker, and you'll have yourself an automobile race. No, I think James Taylor says that to him. Is it James Taylor says that? Yeah. Whoever says that? That is like the best delivery of that. Oh, uh, oh, that was a, that's the scene we're using, by the way. <laughs> make it three bones, motherfucker. <laughs> I think it's three yards, he says. He goes, three make yards. it three yards, motherfucker, and we got ourselves a raise. And then I think if you hear perfectly timed after that, Dennis Wilson like kind of almost like pulls this move where he sounds like a, just a random spectator. He goes, man, this guy just bet $300, like trying to get the crowd behind it. I think, yeah, I think that's what he does. It's, it's really well done. Yeah, I will, I will give you, there are moments in this movie where I'm like, oh, that's really, really well done. Like some of the driving sequences are exceptional. I think the ending is fucking incredible. Uh, yeah, what's that about? We'll get to it. Essentially what ha- happens is they race, but they're kind of not racing because at one point the GTO, something happens to it. And so they just, they drive the car into uh, into like a gas station and then they have to leave the gas station because the guy called the police because they've just sort of been waiting at the gas station for GTO to wake up because he's not used to driving all night. And so they end up meeting in Min- outside of Memphis at a diner where GTO essentially saves Taylor and Wilson because they're about to get hate-crimed, <laughs> to put yeah. it mildly, by some like some yokels. But uh, G- I think that might be my favorite GTO scene where he comes in and is like, no, we're brothers. We're- we go driving, we go looking for races. You know, we're just driving across the country looking for a race. We race that Chevy out there. Out there. Um, what do you I think, think a... they're running from? I don't know. I think the driver and Wilson are just... I don't even know if they're friends. I like legitimately think that they've just come across one another. And they're just like... The driver's just like, I need a guy who fixes my car. <laughs> Dennis Wilson's like, I can fix cars. And like, I like going places. It's a friendship of convenience, not of like actual friendship. And I think it's one of those that it'll dissolve eventually when one's like one meets a lady and like decides to stick somewhere. But for the time oh, yeah. being, they're going to just drive across the country and fucking drag race and make a couple bucks. And it's a bummer of existence, I think. It's a real just like real sad, lonely existence. <laughs> it is. It really is. So what do you like about this movie? I tend to find lonely drifter characters to be pretty interesting because they're just like naturally interesting. Like, why are you drifting? Like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Like, you have a backstory, but I like especially this movie where like it's so easy for them to do a backstory. But instead it chooses to just kind of to not and let it like sit and just kind of like let you think about like where they could have gone, where they're going. Like you get this like in media res middle of the story feel to them. And I find it just like deeply interesting. Like there's just people who just like, they're going to be doing this until they can't like until their car breaks down or until like they physically can't do it anymore. 
And it's, it's this, like, desire that both of these people have to both, like, escape their loneliness, but, like, also kind of hold on to it and hold on to the freedom of the open road. And you have, like, this mixture of, like, these interior spaces that are very claustrophobic inherently because they're cars and they're small and you're not supposed to live out of them. And these, like, beautiful, open, like, American vistas. And so you have, like, these mix of these, like, ideas that are just, like, naturally opposites like they pull at one another and i just i don't know i find this movie like inherently very interesting from a like a narrative perspective even though the movie isn't saying a lot with its plot it's still like conveying a a very interesting grouping of ideas you're not wrong it's i don't know it just it doesn't do it for me by the end of it too i'm just like i'm like nah i don't feel like you earned it like i think it is because it's just so depressing like i think it's such a downer and you know what it is? It's, I mean, God, they should have called this movie Uneasy Rider. Like, because goddamn, like, these kids are so sad. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I think, I don't know, I think to me the movie does earn the sadness. Because you just kind of, like, realize, like, oh, yeah, they're just going to keep doing this. Like, the girl at the end, so basically I'll just wrap this up really quick with the plots all does about. She, does she bed both of them? I think so. And, like, potentially GTO. I know she, for a fact, like, the movie makes a point of, like, fact of, like, her sleeping with the driver. Or not the driver, with the mechanic, Dennis Wilson's character. But, like, GTO essentially, like, wants to keep driving with her, even though that he's not gonna... He, like, they've basically all abandoned the race. GTO is driving with her. He has, he has her, like, at a diner and is like, I kind of just want to keep driving with you. We can go to Chicago or anywhere else. And then the driver shows up and talks to her and proposes going to, like, Columbus, Ohio to get parts. And the girl decides to leave both of them and goes with this guy on a motorcycle, abandoning everybody and her belongings. You see GTO and the driver and the mechanic abandoning the race. GTO goes one way, they go another way, and it ends with the driver alone in his car. Uh, The only thing you hear is the engine, and he starts dragging off, and then the film burns yeah, that is a wild end. I, I love the film burning. I think it's like, oh, he's so hot that the fucking film's going to explode. <laughs> and it's such a good way to end a movie. You would, yeah. you can't do it now, though, because people wouldn't know what the, fuck, what the fuck you mean. But we'll give you one little factoid. Most Universal prints that were released at the time had that last little bit cut out for fear that the projectionist would actually think that the film is burning. <laughs> and overexpose the print by trying to, like, put it out. Uh, that's why you just put a note on all the cans that says, like, look, it's supposed to look like that. I know. Like, uh, and that's what they would do now. But back in the 70s, when you just had random Joes off the street fucking doing projection and stuff. So when this movie came out, Universal hated it, didn't know what to do with it. The president of Universal apparently hated it a bunch. Like, was like, why did we make this? It was kind of supposed to be marketed as, like, a youth movie. Youth's didn't really want it (laughs) adults didn't want it kind of lived in a no man's land it was quickly moved out of theaters it barely made back any money and lived in obscurity for a long time with like prints that were like damaged cut up had the ending chopped and it wasn't until the 2000s where the movie was finally like put onto a dvd and its proper aspect ratio where people were like actually this movie's pretty good and yes. so it's kind of built like a cult following since then. It's been released on Criterion. I've seen their edition of it. It's very nice. It's a very pretty edition. Uh, it's a movie that uh, people love Monty Hellman. He's kind of had like a resurgence as a director. I mean, certain people like Monty Hellman. And 
I don't know. I think it's one of the more interesting road movies of the 70s. I can't disagree with his mayonnaise. That much I can say. Yeah. Hellman's mayonnaise. <laughs> when you got to make the movie Cockfighter, sometimes you got to do a Hellman's ad. I'm Money Hellman, and I approve this message. Is that a real thing? No, that's just funny to me. I just love okay. the idea of Monty Hellman doing a Hellman's mayonnaise commercial so he can make Cockfighter. That's a weird, weird that you pulled out Cockfighter because I love Cockfighter. I don't know if you. Oh, seen I know it. you've you've talked about Cockfighter, and I was looking at this today, and I was like, oh, what else has Monty Hellman done? And I was like, oh motherfucker, and he was the last guy I wanted to talk about. What give us give us a little rundown on Monty Hellman? So Monty Hellman, he made one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movie, Flight to Fury. He also made two movies with Jack Nicholson back to back in the desert. Both of them, which I think has more notes in them, called The Shooting and Ride the Whirlwind. He is a criminally underrated director. So the shooting, Tulane Blacktop, Cockfighter, all are kind of about the same thing, which is just like lonely men in the desert <laughs> trilogy. I think if Cockfighter ever gets a restoration or you can show it on 720p, I think it's going to be... It's gonna be one of those movies where like, wow, fuck, that's a that's a movie, man. Because '74, great year, hard time to release a movie like Cockfighter. Is it what it sounds like it's about? Yeah, it's about cockfighting. Wow, Oates, really? There's a whole movie. No, let me ask you. Warren Oates is not the guy from Hollow Oates, right? No. Okay. I think he died long before Hollow Oates was a was a thing. Or did he just change his identity in the just laziest as, way possible? Maybe. Just so you know. Monty what else War Notes in, by the way? War Notes, real quick, I do want to get this out. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. War Notes did executive produce Reservoir Dogs, so he does have a lot of money. That's, oh, okay. <laughs> what do you say, War Notes can buy and sell me any day of the week? War Notes is, is dead. Oh, well. Monty Hellman produced Reservoir Dogs. Oh. Yeah, War Notes died um, in the 80s. Oh. Yeah. Pour one out for Warnuts. But Warnuts was a favorite of Sam Peckinpah. And Warnuts appeared in the movie uh, The Wild Bunch, as the aforementioned Wild Bunch. He's Sorry. not the whole bunch. No, he's one of the bunch. He's also in Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia in 1974. Sleeping Dogs, he has a small part in. He's in 1941. I don't mm. remember who he plays, but apparently he's in 1941. He's also in Stripes. Well, as far as I know, he's not John Belushi and he's not Toshiro Mifune. Like, those are the two guys I definitely know he's not. And, for longtime listeners, plays the dad in Badlands. Oh, the one they shoot for... Oh, yeah, now I know where this guy's from. Okay, Badlands. Totally makes sense. Okay, wow, this movie really is, like, has everything you love. Like, weird acting, a girl who it's not clear if she's good in it or not. Hey. What? I'm just saying, you you got a lot of movies where, like... Where, like, women are coming on screen, and I'm like, do they suck in this? And, like, then there are moments where you're like, God, it's really fucking brilliant, I think. It's a, it's a compliment, to be sure. You got, a, you got Monty Hellman over there, just, just you know, Monty-ing it up. A writer who's a novelist by trade. Yeah, <laughs> Screenwriter. Yeah. So Secondarily. this was published in Esquire, this whole script. This whole script was published in Esquire, and Esquire called it the best film of the year. And then when the film, like, did not do any... You know, it came out kind of... It was well received critically by people because they were like, "This is this is better than Easy Rider." A lot of people were like me, but the movie just like didn't pick up an audience because it wasn't marketed very well. Universal didn't like it. Universal projectors didn't like it, and so it just kind of like came out and like went. Esquire ended up publishing like their own like they have like this thing at the end of the year where they kind of like 
dubious advertisements and they put their own thing in it which is pretty funny but yeah it was written by rudy wurlitzer other scripts that he has written are pat garrett and billy the kid walker the alex cox movie he wrote a bartolucci movie he's well known guess only have to ask what i gotta pair it with and i mean you said it already easy rider makes sense yeah it's it's like a really good like 60s and 70s example of like what that kind of idea is Mm -hmm. i was reading an essay last night written by kent jones the famous film critic and he was talking about how the graduate while it's maybe not the greatest movie is a great movie because it helped open up other movies like the graduate and he said the similar similar thing about easy rider where because of easy rider there are a bunch of movies like easy rider that are better than easy rider oh absolutely i don't think easy rider is the greatest movie in the world i get it i understand why easy rider easy rider was a happening it wasn't a movie Mm -hmm. like like you had to see easy rider i totally get that but yeah no he's not wrong that's actually a pretty smart way to put it i mean easy rider is great easy rider is a great movie to like smoke a lot of weed not really think about it's in the background. You got some great tunes. Yeah. <laughs> Two Lane Blacktop is more than that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Absolutely. Two Lane Blacktop's got some thoughts. I guess that only leaves the question of uh, what do you give it, Tyler? Uh, I give it I give it four and a half out of five. Uh-huh. I, I, it's a movie that could clearly grow in my estimation just based off like more rewatches it. But I don't know. I really like this movie. It's a three out of five for me. It's not terrible by any stretch. I would, if someone were to say, should I see this? I'd absolutely be like, yeah, like this is a very important movie to history and film history. You should watch this. Even you saying it's an important movie in film history, which uh, that's a win for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's get out of that car and uh, let's drive over to this other movie. Following a Vietnam veteran and former stock car racer, Kowalski, Vanishing Point received a chilly reception upon its initial release in January of 1971. But after it did well in the UK, its distribution company would pair this film with The French Connection as a B-film where it would subsequently pick up steam. Since 1971, the film has garnered a cult following of both car enthusiasts and cinephiles. Today, we take a look under the hood at a film about existentialism and going against the grain as fast as you can. From 1971, directed by Richard C. Serafian and starring Barry Newman as Kowalski and Cleavon Little as the voice of the people, Super Soul. Vanishing point. This is Bob Palmer, KLZ TV News, Denver. Super Soul needs no introduction as our number one disc jockey, but he's certainly on his way to becoming a national celebrity in his own right as the invisible guide of Kowalski. Blind leading the blind. As you all remember, Kowalski was involved in the cross-country chase starting in Denver, Colorado. Don't move, strangers. Don't move. Because I'll get him for you. I'll get him. I'll get him. Stick your pretty little head right through there, baby. That's it. Now we got him. Now we'll get our basket over here. Look at that live and wiggling. Yeah, ain't that a beauty? Oh, ain't that a fat one, though? 
Well, we'll get him in here. Thank you, Tom. That's got him. Thank you. How many do you have in there? Got six rattlers, two sidewinders. Now we've got one very precious diamond back. What do you do with those things? Trade them. Trade them for coffee, sugar, chewing tobacco, salt, flour, and beans. And lots of beans, son. <laughs> Live out here. Look, I'm lost, and I need your help. Attention, Kowalski. I've got an important message for you. Kowalski, are you listening? Now dig this. Coppers from the highway patrol are combing the desert hunting for you. Listen carefully. Believe it or not, they're trying to help you. They really are. Dig it? That depends, son. You said you needed my help, so that depends on your helping me first. Helping me to get where it was that... to get where it was that I was headed for. One of them is a... is a coming on now. I can't see a damn thing out there. I bet you can't even see my truck, neither, and that's... Just over there. Kowalski from Vanishing Point. Mate, it's a classic. That's my Zoe Bell impression from Death Proof. <laughs> Look, if this movie helped inspire Death Proof, I'm very okay that this movie exists. I want to start off by saying that. I feel like we got to watch, what is it, Switchblade Sisters. I feel like that also inspired uh, Death Proof. I'm, I'm sure it did. Whatever, whatever movie that is that you just said. I'm in a better mood now. Don't you be bringing other things into this. Switchblade Sisters is a. I think that's a. I think it would be a Ben pick if you ever saw is that it. Like, is that like a run pussycat kill kill kind of movie? I mean, like a faster pussycat kill kill. Yeah, sort that of. one too. Yeah, that one too. It's about a gang of like a female, like a like a women's gang, like a female gang, girl gang. Okay, yeah, I can get behind that as long as it's not like you know. I mean, like, yeah. It's tricked by the guy who did Spider Baby. Joe, I, was, I think his name's uh, Joe Hill. I was gonna say something really terrible there, but. Yeah, I'm glad I I'm glad I said it was directed by Joe Hill, the guy who directed Spider Baby. Over I hope it is. I hope for your sake it is. So Kowalski is a guy. Too, his job seems to be he just drives cars places. From what the Wikipedia tells me, is he some sort of car delivery man? <laughs> yeah, that's from what I understand too. Which is, huh? So it's like, what? That was a job. <laughs> You're like, I guess. I think it was. Now we just, I guess, fly cars. I don't know. I guess you would have to have someone drive it. Yeah, it makes sense. And he gets a job one day t- that he needs to get a car to California, San Francisco, most specifically, from Colorado by, like, Monday. He has three it. days, and the guy who tells him this says, you got three days, he's like, oh, I'll get it there by tomorrow afternoon. And that's kind of the premise of the entire film. <laughs> the entire film is... This motherfucker likes to drive. This motherfucker likes to drive fast. As we were saying, this movie kind of has inspiration for Death Proof. Christ, the cars are exactly the same in the mm-hmm. two. I think a lot of the helicopter photography in Death Proof comes like directly from this movie. And there is some beautiful photography in this movie. This movie, I think, has a significantly higher budget. <laughs> it really does. It really does feel like they put some money into this. And man, like he uses every bit of it. Like He's just driving and he kind of just keeps re-pissing off the law. 
So at one point he is like they're being chased by the police and then like drives one of them off the road. Yeah, because he asks them to pull over and then it becomes just kind of this state by state chase of him getting from Colorado to California and all of them start to kind of collaborate to take him down. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a radio DJ named Super Soul who is blind and is like guiding Kowalski. I wrote in my review, Super Soul, dot, dot, dot. No notes. None at all. Cleavon Little is a person, if you know anything about the world of Mel Brooks and you have seen Blazing Saddles, he's the sheriff from Blazing Saddles. You'd never know it in this movie. Hmm. Like, this is this is a completely game-changing character performance by him. Yeah, no, you wouldn't have, like, guessed. He kind of has, like, a... I don't want to say anonymous performance, because, like, you're, like... Because he's, I guess he's, it's because he's like, like behind glasses and giant headphones all, all, all movie. But I was like, I don't know who that is until I like wrote down like Cleavon Little. Like I know who Cleavon Little is. It is pretty amazing how hidden he is. Why was he not bigger? He was a black man in the seventies. You would think that one movie. Um, look, you, look, you, you they would already think had Blazing Saddles. And I guess, yeah. As we all know, there can only be one great black actor at a time. That's not true these days. These days. That's true. Yeah. Kowalski is driving this car. The cops are not happy about it. Super Soul is guiding him. That's kind of the whole movie. Like, yeah. But Um, at the same time, there's so much more going on. There's a lot more going on. I mean, he's a Vietnam veteran. You kind of get some of that. You get, I mean, there's like a flashback to like a horrible soccer racing crash. I'm like, where'd they get that footage? He, you know, I don't know. There's just like, there's just like a lot about, Kowalski where like he isn't like just a nameless drifter like he is a guy that seems to have fallen through the cracks of society who Kowalski seems like this the prototypical American boy as I think what they're trying to paint him as but like he he did he fell through the cracks like he's in he's this fucking weirdo outside the the edge so you're saying he's kind of like Benjamin from the graduate he's this guy who like should have gone on to have this pretty prominent career, pretty li- like pretty like charmed life, but it just kind of like all just fell apart at some point. Yeah, I think huh. he's sort of the opposite of the two main leads of Tulane Blacktop, where I feel like they're freaks. I feel like they're weirdos. I feel like they are on the outside. I think Kowalski fell through into the outside. Like he seems like the type of guy that would have been like a fucking high school f- football star that got drafted into Vietnam and then like came home became a motorcycle racer became like a like a race car driver and then he was also a former police officer and then just was like fuck this <laughs> the shit sucks <laughs> i'm gonna drive cars for a living yeah what an interesting little movie what's your favorite scene of it i love when the jaguar like roadster starts racing him and then gets gets dumped off the mm, bridge yes I think it's a great little piece of writing because the the jaguar is like it's it's interesting to see the jaguar be like this like fucking little piss ant like this like needling little thing even though the movie doesn't use any dialogue it's only like the car like coming up again like up to the side of it like trying to pass him like you become so annoyed with the jaguar mm-hmm. <laughs> that like when it crashes you're like yeah <laughs> fuck that thing Man, how lucky did they get that they named that car a Challenger? You're right, yeah. Yeah. Man, it is a it is a dope car. The car becomes a very important character as well in some ways. Mm-hmm. 
In both of these movies, actually. The cars become important. I think the Charger, because of this movie, became the Charger. Like, I think this movie really cements it as, like, a classic American car. Maybe less so about the GTO. I think they were... They just picked, like, a really cool car. That's fair. It is a cool-looking car. All the cops want to stop him. And at one point, Super Soul is attacked by a bunch of people because he's helping him. Mm -hmm. Now, here's my question. That actually happens, right? Mm -hmm. Wait, wait, sorry. What actually happens? When Super Soul is set upon by that mob, that actually happens, right? Yes. Because don't we see him again at the end? He, Yeah, and he is at the end trying to... I don't know. At the end, I'm not sure exactly if Super Soul is with him or against him. I'm still... I still am kind of like, I don't know. It's weird, right? Because, like... It sounds like they, because they said like there's like a fakeness to him or something. Like, what was that? Like, it's the gang has come in and they're trying to get him captured. And so they force Super Soul to be like, no, no, you want to go straight up this road right here. And so the guy leaves on his motorcycle to check it out. And he's like, nope, you don't want to go that way. <laughs> that way is proper fucked. <laughs> I do like the hippie and the woman who help him out. That nude woman just. 70s, man. Yeah. What I like about that scene is he like turns everything down. He's like, no, 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 no. Just want to smoke, and she's like, I'll roll you one. He's like, he goes, no, straight. I like, I don't know. There's something about that. uh, I don't like that she's like naked because I feel like that's stupid. But I kind of like it. I kind of like the like the back and forth they have. You know, though, when they pull up, and after we've spent four minutes with the guy who he hangs out with on the bike, I'm like, no, that would be that guy's girl. He seems super chill. He doesn't even care. Yeah. Like, he's just like, goes, oh, yeah, man, we hang out sometimes. You want to have sex with her? If she's cool with it, sure. Like, it seems like they are two people who are still living in that time. By the way, we run into that group of people listening to the music. That might be the funniest moment of something I've seen all week. <laughs> we have the music now. We don't need it. We got the music now. It feels... It feels you know, like you're seeing the dying pockets of the 60s is what it feels like. Yeah. I think both movies are kind of about the dying pocket of the 60s in different aspects mm-hmm. of it. I think this movie is much more of, like, the 60s are looking for, like, another beacon of hope. And, like, you have those, like, weird, like, spiritual healing things and, like, those, like, hippie communes. Whereas I think Tulane Blacktop is much more about, like, the children of the 60s being lost, like, metaphorically. Whereas this one is much more of, like, a less metaphorical and more straightforward children of the 60s type idea. It absolutely makes sense. I'm just very curious as to what else did this filmmaker do anything else that I would know? He did Fragment of Fear, which I've heard of. Not really anything. He did a movie called Solar Crisis, which was credited to Alan Smithy. He's done some TV work. He was an actor. He is the voice of Captain J.J. Wells in Aliens. I don't know. He's in Bugsy. Yeah, there's a remake to this movie. Yeah, it looks terrible. He's in Bound. Is he really? Yeah, he's towards the bottom of the cast list, but he's in Bound. Charlotte Rampling's in this movie? Yeah, she's she's a hitchhiker. Uh-huh. It's picked up for a couple seconds, out of really any importance. I was like, oh my god, the Charlotte Rampling, weird. It's a it's an interesting film made by a guy who this is like kind of it all coming together. <laughs> It just sort of yeah, seems no, you're like not, you're not wrong about that. It's it's very well done. Like, and the action sequences are incredible. You know who he originally wanted to have play Kowalski? I would guess what's his name from The Graduate. That guy. Again, I can't think of his name. Oh fuck! Jesus, Dustin Hoffman. Thank you. 
fucking Christ. I let you fucking. I, I like, he'll yeah, get it. He'll yeah. get it. He's not, like, he's not gonna get it. I seriously, I don't. I did not fall asleep or anything. I slept pretty good last night. I feel like I'm on fucking muscle relaxers today. I just cannot get it today. I'm sorry. And these are and this is a good movie too. I, I'm not oh. apologizing to Tulane Blacktop. I'm gonna suck it, but I think it's Tulane Blacktop's uh, 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 fault. Uh, that movie is sleepy. <laughs> that fucking car that I didn't think could hit me fast hit me fast. <laughs> Now, I want you to say New York is a New York actor who's a, a former theater actor, just like Dustin Hoffman, older, perpetually old. I think I've joked that this man was born a 40 year old man. I don't know. Gene Hackman. I could see that. Gene Hackman would kill it in this. I think Gene Hackman has Kowalski. You're talking about an all time classic. I think you're talking about an Oscar performance right yeah. there, honestly. Like that, uh, that, that movie's all him. But Barry Newman's all right. He's pretty good. Barry, Barry Newman is perfectly fine. He's better than all right. He's actually really good in this. Like, he has, like, two or three moments where you're just like, oh, man, Barry Newman is, like, crushing this movie. Like, when he's talking to him over the radio, like, and, and dude, Cleavon Little, like, you want to talk about an all-time just great performance. Oh, yeah. No, Cleavon. And those two's relationship is great. And you're right. That ending is very up in the, well, part of the ending is up in the air. There's another thing that's very clear about that movie. <laughs> I think Cleavon, I think the problem with having Barry Newman is Cleavon Little is running circles around <laughs> Barry Newman's performance, uh, so blindfolded you, is, and backwards. So are you saying in any other era, Cleavon Little would clearly be the Kowalski? I, I mean, I would love to see a remake. You could definitely remake this now and have it be like, what's his name? Get Out. Daniel Kaluuya? As Kowalski. Or I guess you'd have to maybe not name him Kowalski, but you know. Like, let's, should we talk about the ending? These both yeah. have very interesting endings. Both, yeah, both have very interesting endings. There's a lot of music playing throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. And so you get this, like, this final montage of, like, him listening. I forget exactly. I don't know exactly what song it is. But it's, like, it cuts between him driving, him smiling, him seeing, like, the cops turning around, him smiling. And the final shot is like him smiling, and then the opening shot was like them like luring these bulldozers down on the road. Like the like the opening of the movie was this, and it's him seeing that with like the smile on his face and just like running, head full of steam like into the bulldozers, uh, catching fire. The car's like on fire, and the crowd like slowly disperses. Well, everyone um, in the crowd is like, oh, we should have just let him go. Like, even the cops are like, oh, yeah, that wasn't worth it. Like, that dude's yeah. dead now. One of the cops is like, oh. Yeah, he does kind of have that, like, little, like, almost sober awakening being like, oh, it wasn't really worth it, was it? Like, we, we sacrificed that dude for nothing, and we weren't even really mad about anything. We were just mad because he was maybe a little more free than the rest of us for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a heartbreaking ending. Yeah, I think both movies are kind of like bummers, which big Tyler bait. I like a downer ending. And both movies also made me, after I watched them, decide I wanted to just go for a drive. Did you go for a drive? I went for a drive and it started raining. It was real nice. There you go. It's real pretty. Well, I mean, and yeah, he, well, he just wrecks it. He eats it. Yeah, hard. Uh, That car, that guy should ask for his money back, whoever that car was being delivered to. I mean, he should have asked for his money back regardless, because the amount of miles Kowalski was going to put on that fucking thing. Very true. Homeboy goes the wrong way. I, we didn't talk about this, but he's driving from Denver to San Francisco. He goes south through Goldfield, and I'm just like, why? 
What are you doing? I think he just wants to prove he can do it. I mean, he. I guess maybe he went off track during the, like a Utah chase. But like, I'm still like, why? You would go through like Ely and like Wendover and like not Wendover. I don't know. You would go through the middle of Nevada. You wouldn't go through the south of Nevada. Like, I don't. That really, I was I was upset about that. I was really like, why would you go south to get east to get west? You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm trying to think. I mean, I know what I would pair this with. I would I would pair this with Death Proof because I mean, like they both got the Challenger in them, and like you can tell, there's just clear love for that. And it's also a great double billing, and you get people to show up for this one, and that's the important part. I mean, I got people to show up for Two Lane Blacktop using Vanishing Point, so that's true. It's just paying it forward. What would you give this? I think I give this like a like a three and a half. Really? Yeah, I think it's very solid. Yeah, I was gonna say I think it is the dad version of Two Lane Blacktop, which is not a knock against it. I think there's more action, and I think there's more of like nude women. (laughs) So like, you can definitely pack this with like a room full of uh, older dudes. Whereas I think Two Lane Blacktop, I think it's just got too much to say. Truth, truth. I give this a four, man. I really liked Vanishing Point. See, I picked one for you, one for me. That's that's how it goes. There you go. There you go. That's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. Most of the time, both for me. (laughs) All for me, none for you. Well, it takes us out of it, and I guess we have to ask the question of what are we we giving the customer next week as their two-movie minimum? Next week, I like the idea. We did. We went to 1999. We did two episodes about the year 1999. And I think it's an interesting idea to to maybe occasionally dip into years considered by many cinephiles to be the best year for movies ever. And so I wanted to go back as far back as I possibly could to maybe the first best year for movie ever. And that is, of course, te- about a decade after sound became a thing. The year 1939, bunch of bangers. I think John Ford made like four movies that year that are all considered classics. So I just wanted to see what Ben digging through the dustbin of history that the year 1939 would bring to the table. Well, we are going to start off with a movie that would come out in August of 1939, a movie that is considered by some to be one of the greatest movies ever made. It was up for a best picture. It stars the very young and precocious Judy Garland and is a movie that is probably hailed as one of the greatest like achievements in film. And in some ways, they're probably not wrong, but also I think is a movie that you got to look at through a certain lens to really appreciate the 1939 film, The Wizard of Oz. I guess I'm finally going to have to watch The Wizard of Oz in one sitting, finally. Yeah, me too, I guess. No, I've seen that in one sitting. And I I'll tell and I'll seen... tell my story about meeting an actual munchkin. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that story. It's a good story. I think I've seen all of all of the Wizard of Oz, but I don't know if I've seen it all at once. And then we will be talking about a movie that would come out in December of 1939, a movie that would go on to win Best Picture at the Oscars and would go up against it. And also, ironically enough, is directed by the same guy who directed The Wizard of Oz. We will be watching the nearly four-hour film Gone with the Wind. Oh, man. You picked, yeah, <laughs> you picked the I two did. movies I, I didn't did. want to do. Yeah, I did. I've never seen Gone with the Wind. We're about to correct that. Ugh. Four hours, Ben. I hate you. 
All of a sudden, you should have pulled the Decalogue gun when you had the chance, didn't you? <laughs> Kill the wicked witch. Oh, I can't wait to get into how creepy that movie is. Ah, uh, boy. Yeah. I Gone with the Wind's going to be fucking problematic as shit, dude. I, uh, that's going to be a minefield. <laughs> you know, but Hattie McDaniel, she she got her money. And you know what? Everyone comes back as someone else. And she came back as Oprah. All right. My favorite I don't. Paul, no, 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 Paul Mooney. It's my favorite Paul Mooney joke when he's at, when he's doing Mooney at the movies. Okay. Okay. I'm glad it's a Paul Mooney joke. <laughs> no, Hollywood is crazy. Hollywood is crazy. The Last Samurai starring starring Tom Cruise. What, the Mexican with Brad Pitt? And he's like, I got a movie for you. One of the greatest lines to close out of a scene. Oh, I'll let people look it up on their own time. Just look up Mooney at the movies. I will say Mooney's album Race, the comedy album, very good. A lot yeah. of, a lot of, a lot of really mean things he says oh, in that album. Stars, I'm betting. <laughs> there are some jokes where I'm like, I don't know if I could. That's that's not a joke for mixed company. <laughs> that, that a joke for me? Nah. Well, guys, yeah. So next week, 1939's The Wizard of Oz and 1939's Gone with the Wind. I think it's going to be a fascinating discussion next week. Yeah, we'll see about Gone with the Wind. I'll be like, should this have won Best Picture? It'll be great, too, because they're both Best Picture nominees, too. Yeah, and I feel like that year there's probably a better movie for sure. I'm not not to tip my hand. You think so? (laughs) Probably. All right. Well, guys. 1939 had a lot of great movies. I bet. Son of Frankenstein. So, guys, next week you can check those out, but you can always find us at TWGTFPod on Twitter. That has a place where you can find any show we've ever done because we post one every week. And you can follow us. You can follow me at ET Critic for the Empty Theater Critic. See what I'm reviewing. I just watched a movie called The Born Losers. Oh. Yeah, which is a odd movie. I was going to mention that. Uh, I think Easy Rider was kind of born out of those types of like uh, movies, like Hell's Bloody Devils and those like motorcycle movies of the late 60s. I do kind of love that like the Born Losers is taking care of all the trash from the Easy Rider era. Mm-hmm. He's just like, not in my town. It is. It's like Midwest Death Wish. Gotta watch it. It's a Richard Rush movie. Richard Rush. Interesting. Very weird director. I don't think it is a Richard Rush movie. I think it's directed by the guy who did the guy who did all of the Hillbilly Jack movies or whatever they're called. Mm. Or Billy Jack or whatever. No, I think he only ever did Billy Jack. Oh, weird. It says it's directed by him. Really? Yeah. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Hold on. Now I need to know. You know what? I guess that you're right. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Hell's Angels on Wheels. Ah. There we are. Yeah. 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 Is there anything you want to plug? No, I'm 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 on the on the airport strip outside of Phoenix doing some drag racing. And for TWGTF Two White Guys Talking Film, I've of course been your host, Ben. <laughs> and I'm the mechanic. And remember, guys, if you come into the video store and you see a guy standing there with a little thing that goes from red to yellow to green, you might want to get out of the way because we're holding drag races in the store now. Just two white guys talking film. My eyes were open, I was reading every 
from Vanishing Point. Mate, it's a fucking classic. Yeah, it's a movie about relationships. I think that's what we can say. It's a movie about... Exactly. Hot African love. <laughs> there, I said it. Yafa Koto, good-looking dude back in the day. He was a very talented actor. I wonder why... I don't know. I feel like he could have I'll been tell, I'll a tell star. you why, Koto is hard to say. He's also a weird guy. Apparently. Yeah, I feel like him and Michael Moriarty could be in that same club together. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Moriarty's in more more in more ways than you think. <laughs> really? They're both apparently of uh on the uh on the right spectrum when it comes to politics. Yeah, but Koto really. Yeah. He's a Republican. I mean, that quote about Larry Cohen being Martin Luther King of like the white Martin Luther King. I'm like, I don't know about that guy. That was that was that might be one of the funniest lines in the documentary. I don't know about that, Yafit. Oh, oh, Yafit, no. Oh no. Yafit, no toe. There we go. Kowalski from Vanishing Point, mate. It's a fucking classic. By the way, is their car fast? Yeah. I can't tell. It doesn't seem like it should be fast. It doesn't seem like it should be fast, but it, it fucking packs a punch. Like, GTO's I, car, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That looks like a fast car. I think if you were to actually, like, they were to actually have a race, I think those dudes in that Chevrolet dust GTO any day of the week. Man, really? God, because it doesn't even look aerodynamic. Everything about it just seems like it should be going against it. And yet they always win a race. They never lose. Kowalski from Vanishing Point. Mate, it's a fucking classic. 
Kowalski from Vanishing Point. It's it's when Zoe Bell says that line, it just slays me every time because you can tell she's really excited to be in that movie. <laughs> you can tell she's really excited for that line. Yes, she's like, I get to say Kowalski. I need to um, watch Death Proof. It's been a while. I really like Death Proof. Kowalski from Vanishing Point, mate. It's a fucking classic. Who is the great black actor now? I think Denzel probably handed it to Michael B. Jordan. I would, I would assume. I don't know. That last movie Michael B. Jordan did was rough. Mercy? Yeah. I watched that, that movie. You did? I did not watch that movie. I, I hear it's rough, is what I'll say. I'm trying to think. I hear this Jamie is... Foxx is really good in it, but other than that, you're just like, ooh, ooh. I think it was supposed to be another like Oscar play for Jamie Foxx, but like, oh, fucking, I'm not watching that. Which, which, who cares? He has one. Like, oh, if I was me, I'd pull the De Niro move where it's like, is it close to my house? Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll come. Can you meet my fee? Like, is it close to my house? Is Martin Scorsese directing it? Those are my two questions. <laughs> oh, he is, huh? Is it good? Oh, three and a half hours. What is Netflix? <laughs> I like the idea that Martin, that Robert Nero didn't know about Netflix until he got the Irishman. He was like, no, nah, I don't fiddle with that. that computer, it's my grandkid's thing over there. I bought it for him. I wouldn't know what to do with that. This is what I know what to do. And he just pops like some intern in the face and he's like, that's what I know what to do. <laughs> like, Mr. De Niro, please. challenge of being chased by the blue blue meanies on wheels the vicious traffic squad cars are after our lone driver the last american hero the the electric centaur the demigod the super driver of the golden west two nasty nazi cars are close behind the beautiful lone driver the police numbers are getting closer 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 to our soul hero in his soul mobile yeah baby they're about to strike they're gonna get him smash him rip the last beautiful free soul on this planet but it is written if the evil spirit arms the tiger with claws. Brahman provided wings for the dove. Thus spake the super guru. Oh, 